1: Florida's led the nation throughout COVID. Governor DeSantis refused to bend the knee to the media, to the left-wing mob on lockdowns. He protected Floridians against vaccine mandates. But part of being a great leader is also surrounding yourself with other leaders. And he's done that with Florida's Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Latipo. Picking the right guy, picking a guy who isn't afraid to stare down the media as well, that isn't afraid to stare down the mob for what is right he actually follows the science. He's a brilliant man. He got his MD and his PhD from Harvard. Uh, He was a professor at NYU and then also UCLA before coming to Florida to serve as the state's Surgeon General. But he's also led. Florida is the first state to recommend against vaccinating healthy children for COVID. He's conducted his own research through the Florida Department of Health, raising serious concerns about the impact the vaccines have had on myocarditis and heart injury, especially for young men, being unafraid to bring that information to light to the public. And they're also going to continue to lead the charge. I mean, Governor DeSantis has announced that he's going to petition the state Supreme Court to convene a grand jury to investigate any at all wrongdoing with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines about lies that we've been told from the vaccine manufacturers, vaccine injury. Florida's also created the Public Health Integrity Committee, which Dr. Latipo is going to be coordinating to try to combat a lot of the lies that we've been told by the CDC. But most importantly, Dr. Latipo is just a brave man. He's a good man. He stands firm in his beliefs. He fights for what is right. And he stands up against the mob for us, for Floridians. But I think even more importantly for the country, because Florida's leadership matters, I've also had the chance to meet Dr. Latipo and his wife on election night, and he is such a kind man. So is his wife. So he's just a really good person. And I think that helps shape why he's able to fight in the way that he is. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation with him as a Floridian, as someone who just really deeply respects him and his leadership and what he's doing, not only for Florida, but for the rest of the country as well. I got to meet you and your wife, uh, Brianna, on election night. I was so excited to meet you. I truly, deeply respect you and what you've done and just being a leader uh, throughout COVID. I know that's not easy to do, so I just want to thank you. And it was such an honor to meet you and your lovely wife. She was so kind.
2: Oh, thanks, Lisa. I'm really glad to have gotten to meet you too. And I know we had a great conversation, and I remain in admiration of the things you shared with us. So that is genuine, and you know that is straight up. I really admire what you what you shared and what you've done
1: well, and it's been so important to have people like you with uh you know who are esteemed what you know worked your way through uh for your medical de- degree because you know I can be out there talking about some of these things, but we need people of your stature out there fighting the good fight you know before you became the Florida Surgeon General. You started writing columns just you know kind of raising questions about the group think the overall narrative in the country regarding covid why did you decide to speak out then
2: well you know i'm i'm glad you met my wife because it really was a it was a it was a team decision my wife and i have been on the same page with covid policy since the beginning and my wife didn't go to medical school but you don't need you don't need a medical medical training to recognize things like fear and sort of authoritarian approaches and fear-based decision making and policies that are harmful to human beings and to liberty and to health, in fact. And so seeing all that, we both just felt that and it is it is as you know, oftentimes with with partners it, it really is a group decision because you're both putting yourself out there when one of you says something that publicly that is not popular. So we we made the decision earlier early on that it was it was it really important to to speak up with all that was going on and you know we never stopped talking. So
1: <laughs> you know what kind of reaction did you get because you were at UCLA at the time what sort of reaction did you get after speaking out
2: it started out with just the first one or two articles being like oh joe that's so interesting we hadn't thought of that before and it was the wall street journal so that's cool often in academia people faculty will try to publish op-eds and it's not it's not often that that you're able to publish something in a in a in a newspaper as as prestigious i mean wall street journal is an amazing newspaper so as Wall Street Journal, and obviously there are others like the New York Times and the Washington Post. But so initially, there was a lot of gratitude for both getting ideas out there and even for the UCLA brand, if you will, for you know, publishing in something like the Wall Street Journal. And that didn't, that didn't last long because eventually, especially when, when the Black Lives Matter movement really swelled up, after George Floyd was tragically killed, there became an atmosphere of more of more doctrine discipline became became the the accepted way to to look at things at UCLA and at many other universities. And things really went downhill at that point. I started receiving a lot of, you know, why is Joe writing this? And you know what's what is Joe's real, what's his ulterior motive for for doing you know for saying things like this and really a lot of negativity. That's around that's about the time that things turned.
1: Quick commercial break. Back with Florida's Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com slash Lisa.
0: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: I think what's sort of scary is that, you know, throughout COVID we keep hearing, oh, there's a consensus around COVID, the science is settled. But what we've seen is it's actually a forced consensus. Because we've seen doctors lose their medical licenses for speaking out. Uh, you look at the state of California, where you were previously before coming to Florida. They have a law going into effect that could punish doctors for sharing what they call, you know, quote unquote, misinformation, which is really just anything that defy, you know, defies sort of this groupthink narrative on COVID. But wh- why would we want a forced consensus on medicine? That, that doesn't seem like the right approach, sir.
2: You're exactly right. And why would you need that kind of law if indeed there was a consensus? Obviously, there's not a consensus. It's a forced consensus, as you state, and as we're seeing, for example, in the Twitter files that Elon Musk is is releasing, and we've seen so many other examples of the use of essentially coercion, threatening people's medical licenses, threatening people's board certification to gain compliance. So you're right. It's terrible for science. Consensus is always terrible for science. I mean, you only need to be familiar with middle school science history to know that, whether it's Galileo or, or other scientists, Newton. Consensus, the people who have, in fact, in ways, it's, it's actually anti-science because the individuals who perhaps have advanced science most briskly have been people who have not at all stuck with the consensus. So it, it is bad policy. It's bad ethically. It's bad for science. It's bad for humanity. I hope they stop doing it.
1: Well, it also just concerns me because I, I think it speaks to maybe this bigger issue that's happening in the country, which is the lack of critical thinking. And you would think of in all in, in all of industries, in the medical profession, you would want critical thinkers.
2: Yeah, that, that is definitely true, and I know that's probably been a concern that predated the pandemic. I think there have been, there have been many scholars who have been concerned about critical thinking and the, ter- the direction that universities were taking with, with sort of more orthodoxy in terms of thinking and in terms of what is considered acceptable and and not acceptable. And I think it's probably a that's probably a, a, a greater, more global problem, if you will. And, that, and just to re, just to really strengthen your point, I would add that that looking at even the fact that people like Dr. Fauci and the Biden administration were able to get away with what they did for so long, unfortunately, does speak to some vulnerability in the general public in terms of critical assessment of, of information.
1: Well, and it's also one thing I've learned throughout this in my conversations with so many people is just how much control the NIH has on what is deemed consensus in, in terms of giving out grants and really controlling research and, and really sort of sil- silencing people with that, of people worrying about, oh, am I not going to get a grant if I speak up, if I question you know, the authority on this, uh, since Dr. Fauci is science, uh, according to him. <laughs> I, you know, talk, talk a little bit about that, you know, and, and sort of the way that works.
2: So that is, that is an underappreciated, but very true phenomenon. So for example, when I was at UCLA, at the time that I left about a year ago, I had at that time, I think, four NIH grants. So I had four grants that were funding clinical science clinical trials at at UCLA and since that time interestingly i'm in a situation now where i'm concerned about whether or not i'll be able to obtain future grant funding because i haven't told the line and that that is that's something that could that could factor into our evaluations when grant applications are submitted. And in some ways, it's even more real than that for me, believe it or not. So, for grants, I probably had one of the most, if not, um, if not the most, grants for a faculty member who was a... You know, I had been at UCLA for a few years, not, not that long. But I was doing very well in the department, which was part of the reason I was able to continue writing. And they had trouble finding a, a way to silence me because I was fortunately doing good work. But believe it or not, one of my major grants on HIV, UCLA won't release it. So this idea—I I, I mean, I, I'm actually—I'm trying to work with the NIH right now. So this idea that uh, that that science is just science, and both. University politics or NIH politics don't play a role. It's it's a, it would be nice if that were the case, but unfortunately, it's not the case. It really does. It really does. It really does make a difference.
1: Was that a hard decision then to give up some of that and then come to Florida and take on this big role as the Florida Surgeon General?
2: Incredibly easy decision <laughs> <laughs> for me. Actually, I should say for my wife. For my wife, because when I it, I got the call literally out of the blue from from Governor DeSantis's chief of staff, Adrian Lucas, who's who's a guy I like a lot. And I was I was surprised. And frankly, I didn't think that I didn't think I would do it because I was tenured at UCLA and we had actually just moved. Like we literally, we were still getting stuff out of boxes. We had made one of those pandemic moves where we moved out of a, a condo into a house. just because I think a lot of people made that kind of transition during the pandemic. So their kids would have more space to play. And we had just moved. And, but when I, when I I got the call and when I told my wife, when she got home, she immediately, and I always, I trust my wife. She has amazing instincts. She immediately said, do it. (laughs) it I was surprised, but then I, I knew what I needed to do. So, it was certainly difficult to put everything together and make the physical arrangements and we have three kids and they're small. So we were we were trying to do school and, and get our stuff across and of course start the new job and start my appointment at University of Florida. But uh, definitely incredibly worth it. I mean I'm, I'm just so grateful to the governor for for appointing me and to have the opportunity to be some counterforce to all of the nonsense and just evil, frankly, that we've seen from, from a lot of the, the general, the general scientific community in terms of the leadership.
1: Well, it's like, uh, what is that saying? You know, when we make plans, God laughs, right? You're talking about how you guys are, <laughs> <laughs> <like>, you know. it. <laughs> uh, you know, doctor, you're talking about, uh, you know, Florida really has led on all of this, which I, I'm very proud to be a Floridian and to, to have you as my Surgeon General and Governor DeSantis as my my governor. But, you know, and that's sort of the problem with this consensus. You know, they've been wrong about masks. They've been wrong about lockdowns, long about vaccines. So it's good that Florida has led on all of this stuff. Florida was the first state to recommend against vaccinating healthy children. You have conducted your own study on myocarditis and heart injury, Uh, additional research that you're conducting through the University of Florida. Uh, What have you found in terms of vaccine injury?
2: Well, There's a lot of information out there, a lot of published studies. And it's, it's one of the sad aspects of the pandemic, Lisa, is that when a study yields unfavorable findings, it just gets buried. It it doesn't get picked up by mainstream media. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know about because of that. But the bottom line is that the scale of adverse events after these mRNA COVID-19 vaccines is orders of magnitude worse than any other widely used vaccines. That is the bottom line and there are multiple studies that have shown this most recently he mentioned an autopsy you, may, you you were you referred to an autopsy study that was published in a in a very good journal clinical research in cardiology and basically what these scientists did was they looked at people who died suddenly unexpectedly at home within a few weeks of covid-19 vaccination and they found that four out of 35 people actually had a pattern of myocarditis that was essentially specific for the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. So if these findings are generalizable, where the implication is that tens of thousands of people, just a proportion of the people who have died within a few weeks of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines Actually died because of cardiac inflammation leading to a cardiac arrhythmia after these vaccines. And these people, because they die at home, they're not, they're not showing up in these studies of myocarditis. There's no one, no one, they're not showing up to a hospital with chest pain and shortness of breath and those types of symptoms. So there's a lot more that we don't know about the adverse events of these vaccines, and we're working, and other researchers are working also, to bridge that gap.
1: Well, and I think that's a concern with the mRNA in, in general, is the fact that we don't really have previous examples of mRNA being in the marketplace in this way, correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. It's been something that's been worked in, really, laboratory settings. And some clinical work, but generally not yielding favorable findings. And science science takes unexpected directions, and and that's okay, that's good. But really, this this atmosphere of of consensus, a forced consensus, almost like an iron curtain, if you will, that's that's that is just soaking everyone in terms of what you have to believe, and it must be good, and if it's bad, it can't be true. That is, that's really the the bad, that's really the bad part. That's where the harm's coming from.
1: We're gonna take a quick commercial break. Stay with us.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now, I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them. Sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once. And two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com Lisa.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
2: that that's a great question and i think it's it's probably scientifically it's probably a difficult question to answer i would say that the uses of mrna currently in application specifically related to these vaccines they i would not consider these vaccines safe they're just the 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 risk profile the safety profile of these vaccines is is unfortunately out of this world in comparison to other vaccines. They're definitely not safe. There are a bunch of other mRNA products coming down the line, and each will have to be evaluated. But hopefully, we can shed this this uh, this, this 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 current relationship, kind of this love affair that that the media and the scientific community are trying to push related to these vaccines. So we can evaluate the technology. In an unbiased
1: way. Well, and, and you know, back to the point that we've been when making is, you know, forced consensus is bad, right? Everything should be we questioned. We're a healthier society when everything can be questioned, which is, you know, my approach from a media standpoint. And I'm glad your approach. Uh, from a medical standpoint. And thank God for you. Uh, You know, the governor uh, had recently announced that he petitioned the state Supreme Court to convene a grand jury to investigate uh, vaccine manufacturers, to investigate if we've been told the truth on a lot of this stuff. Uh, You know, knowing what you have found out so far about mRNA vaccines, uh, what do you expect from this potential grand jury? Or or what are you looking for uh, from that, potentially?
2: (laughs) Taking shots at some of my colleagues here. Unlike some of my colleagues who are very eager to talk about things that they haven't like papers or studies they haven't read or methods they don't understand, I, I have to I won't be doing that because I didn't go to law school. So I'm not I'm not an expert in this area. But I would say that my sense just as someone who is a physician, who is a scientist and who has closely observed what, we, what has been happening in the country for the, for the past few years, my sense is that Governor DeSantis's announcement is something that's going to lead us to overall more truth. Scientifically, one area that people are still struggling with is obtaining the primary data from these clinical trials that Pfizer and Moderna have done. Believe it or not, those data are still hidden from the scientific community they're important because for many reasons but one of them and probably one of the most important ones is to better understand the safety events that happened in those trials there's already one case that's very public of i think a young woman a, a girl adolescent i think who was who had a just a very rare but profound injury, neurological injury, that was enrolled in one of these trials. And the study, when the study was published, it was whitewashed. It was basically described as being nothing significant. And the poor girl is disabled, possibly and probably, for the rest of her life. So getting a hand on these original data that are being hidden and and kept away, sequestered from researchers is one thing that I hope comes out of this effort. Overall, considering Governor DeSantis and his just very thoughtful and instinctive sense for how to approach problems, I am pretty optimistic that we are going to be shedding light on very important areas for the U.S. public. Well,
1: I've also just always found it to be unethical uh, to push something on people who are not at risk uh, from COVID, uh, push, you know, unstudied vaccines when most vaccines have five to 10 years of safety data. This has does not uh, to push something on people who are otherwise healthy and not at risk.
2: It's sadly so that you have to say that the doctors aren't saying that, right? That is, of course, that's perfectly sensible, but so many people who feel that way, they don't have the support of the medical community, but they're right, and and in this case, the doctors are wrong. Well,
1: you know, and the challenge of all of this is just uh, decreased faith in in public health officials and in public health at large. I know that I'm much more skeptical than I previously was. I had a doctor try to encourage me to get the the flu shot, and she got an earful from me. (laughs) You know, like, it's just... we're all a lot more skeptical as a result of the things that we've been told that have now been disproven. Um, and it, I know Florida's trying to address this with the Public Health Integrity Board that you're coordinating to try to hold the CDC accountable, to try to bring some truth to light. Uh, what do you hope to accomplish with all of that?
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I totally get it with the skepticism. It is It is far and wide now, and I don't even know what to tell people because— I, what are you going to say? Well, it's okay. I mean, it's okay to trust your doctor's advice now when your doctor hasn't atoned for what he or she did when, when he or she was trying to push you to put some new drug, new experimental vaccine in your kid. You know, doctors haven't atoned for it. And, and I, I, I get it. And I, I don't even know what to say because it, it's very understandable why people don't, so many people now, Do not trust the medical community. And with the Public Health Integrity Committee, we are serving as an alternative voice to the totally corrupt CDC in terms of COVID-19 policy. And we'll be addressing other issues, too. But certainly in the CDC, they do a lot of great things. But they've been a complete failure with COVID-19. It's just it's just a it's an institute of lies and propaganda and bad science. So we are going to we've convened true experts, lots of great people, Dr. Jim Dhanicharya, Dr. Martin Koldoff, Dr. Christine Stablebend, and many others. Really high caliber Dr. Tracy Tracy Hogue, really high caliber. Physicians, scientists, epidemiologists, biostatisticians. And we are going to serve as a scientific a scientific organization that will issue scientific guidance based in data and infused with common sense and realism in contrast to the CDC that is as many Americans recognize is literally just an institute for infectious disease COVID-19 propaganda. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm very grateful to the, to the scientists who, who are participating, because as, as you know, sticking your neck out as a scientist is, is not something that is right for everyone. <laughs> I'll tell you that I've had conversations with many people who just, they, they totally back us, but they just don't want the heat. And I get it. But we had a really outstanding group of of great scientists who were also brave, brave individuals and that is to be celebrated
1: well that's really what we we need is more brave people and and it sounds like Florida really could become and is becoming with you at the helm a hub for health you know and also potentially bringing doctors down uh, who are, are tired of being told they can't question things or are tired of being told they can't do their job uh, bring them to Florida and really being a leader in all of this uh, you know and, and we've got the CDC now they're encouraging once again people to wear masks. Uh, why <laughs>
2: <laughs> I really feel bad for people because I get it that it, it would seem to make sense that you put something over your face and somehow it filters out all the viruses and then you don't get sick and all this other stuff. And so, you know, it, it does have this. I, I mean, I, I hate them, right? I hate wearing them, but it does have this intuitive. Intuitive feel to it, right? That you put on a mask and you're protected, and this and that. Unfortunately, and it, it's a more nuanced thing to explain why that is not true. Unfortunately, it's been studied for many years before the pandemic, and basically, it it just it either makes zero difference whatsoever, or it makes a tiny difference. And those studies before the pandemic mirror the studies that have happened during the pandemic where they found either no benefit or a tiny difference. And, and, and even in that case, I'm referring to the study of several villages, I think in Bangladesh, that the New York Times likes to pretend is some definitive mass study it basically reduced the incidence of COVID-19 from like 12% to 11%. I mean, it was basically something so simple like that, and the benefit only accrued in older people in that study. And then there are lots of problems with that study, but, but not to get into those. It literally is something that is not scientifically sensible, and it's so sad because it also misses the opportunity. To promote what is scientifically sensible and beneficial, right? You don't hear Dr. Lewinsky talking about people exercising. You don't hear her talking about people reducing their intake of processed foods, increasing their intake of whole foods, right? Fruits, vegetables, especially the vegetables, the green vegetables. You don't hear her talking about Sleep. You don't hear her talking about vitamin D or getting outside and you know being active outside. I mean, it's so sad. Those are things that not only improve your immune system and strengthen your immune system, but also reduce your risk of heart disease, of strokes, of cancer, real opportunities to improve health. And Dr. Walensky wants to emphasize masks, like pieces of plastic that people throw on their faces. I mean, it, it's so sad. To, it's absurd. And, I, you know, I cannot wait till we close the curtain on this version of the CDC. I truly cannot. It cannot, I cannot come soon enough.
1: Well, and I'm glad you had mentioned that because that was going to be one of my questions to you is, you know, absent from the conversations throughout COVID is being healthy. <laughs> Like, you know, it's like, it's like we, you know, we don't talk about that. And and you look at one of the big problems and, and one of the big drivers of people ending up in the hospital with COVID, things like obesity. And yet we saw in places like New York is, hey, go get a burger and French fries and when, you know, in exchange to getting vaccinated. And it's like, well, wouldn't the better conversation and the more prudent conversation, be one around being healthy, a healthy weight, eating healthy, living a healthy lifestyle, a lot of the things that you just talked about.
2: It's so, I mean, it's pr- both perverse and just disheartening that health is not being promoted. Products are being promoted as a path to health. And that's not true. And by the way, health is not avoiding an, an illness. Health is way more than that. And it, it really is. It's just so sad, and I, I really do hope that more and more Americans wake up to that. It's something that we try to promote with with healthier you. It's one of our uh, campaigns here in Florida to try and get people, help people, encourage people to get moving, to improve their diet, and their nutrition, and things like that. It's really, I mean, honestly, it, it breaks my heart. It almost brings me to, to tears, really, that people have been for 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 years, for a few years now, during the pandemic, being fed all this junk about about you know masks and staying at home and staying inside, but basically no discussion about losing weight, things that people can control and change to. To improve their health, I mean, it's really, it's it's very, very depressing that that's what happened. But yet, yeah, that's that's what happened.
1: You know, I was thinking about it, and, and even just following you on Twitter, and and I know you you really try to encourage people to live a healthy lifestyle. You really actually might be one of the only truly healthy public health officials in the country, which is just really, really sad. Uh, doctor. You know, I have also wanted to, it's so sad, but I appreciate you encouraging a healthy lifestyle for people and leading by example, which I, I think is important. You know, a lot of you know, we're having these conversations about, you know, vaccines and, and pushing things that aren't healthy upon people. There's also this push right now and trying to say that things like puberty blockers are safe for young people when that's also not really fully studied. You know, what do we know about puberty blockers and the impact that that could have on young people in in the short term and
2: long term? Right. So that's the first huge problem. The long term is unknown. There have been studies that have been done, and those studies there aren't many, but those studies are bad or their their findings the studies aren't bad their findings are bad so for example there was a there was a study not too long ago published that basically showed that there might be effects on bone density from some of the some of the hormone blockers that are prescribed to people with uh, with with a transgender condition so that's, that's actually, that's been the, the cornerstone of our argument here in Florida, the cornerstone of our concerns here in Florida, that ultimately, because so little is known, both about the safety, especially long-term safety, and about the efficacy, because randomized trials, clinical studies have generally been pretty biased and confounded. They've not been good studies. So little is known that it amounts truly to experimentation on children. And I get it that people think that it's the right thing for some some people, but it will it's it's it is just it's not okay to experiment on children and it's not okay to be introducing treatments and therapies that don't have That don't have uh, that that have this type of safety profile that are that are risky for individuals who are not old enough to really consent. So that's really been our our view in Florida. It's a view, by the way, that of course aligns with what most parents think. But again, similar to COVID, they're, they're being bullied by the scientific community to resist their, their intuition, their, their natural impulse, and their natural beliefs, and instead adopt this perverse idea that these experimental, very risky therapies to children are, quote unquote, appropriate. They're totally inappropriate.
1: And of course, concerns about, uh, you know, the impact on fertility and and, and a ton of things. Uh, you know, sir. Before we go, I know you've got a busy schedule, so I want to be re- respectful of your time. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with before we go?
2: Oh goodness! Oh, that's very kind. Perhaps I will leave with is just a just a, maybe a note of encouragement out there to everyone, especially folks who feel that they are not being their ideas are not being represented in the main mainstream that they feel that they're alone and surrounded by an environment of just nonsensical nonsense and and, and, and false beliefs and harmful ideas. I just want you all to know that the, the governor Governor DeSantis is he is terrific. he is the man for this time and I also will continue working with him to to define a, a pathway forward of sensibility coming here from Florida. We will not stop. We're doing the right thing. I think you know grace is behind us and providence is behind us. This is absolutely the, the measures we're taking here in Florida are the right measures for health and for humanity. And we are going to keep it going until it is complete.
1: Well, you had mentioned that Governor DeSantis is the right man for this time, but I believe yours as well. You are as well. So uh, very thankful to have you as my state's Surgeon General. I really, really, truly appreciate everything you've done for the state and being a leader on this issue and your wife as well um, and and standing strong with you. So uh, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, Florida Surgeon General, thank you so much, sir.
2: Oh, thanks, Lisa. Real pleasure.
1: joseph ledapo very thankful for his leadership in the state of florida it is not easy being him the amount of criticism the amount of attention the amount of you know people just going after you personally uh should not be underestimated and you know the attacks on him so he is bold he is brave and he is a leader and we are so thankful to have him in the state of florida and just also uh in the country period so i appreciate you guys listening at home I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting together the episode every Monday and Thursday you can listen throughout the week. Until next time.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.